My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, welcome to those of you that are online with us. And uh, we're in Philippians chapter 1 today. Uh, we might get through verse 1, so we'll see. I think we might even get through verse 2. So. Don't tempt me on verse 3, though. That might be going too far. But uh, we'll start as we do uh, each week. And I'm going to, um, after doing a little math, I've got to revise this. So I was hopeful to be able to be able to read Philippians quickly enough so that I could read the entire book each week. And uh, I'm getting slower as I read it out loud. So the more I study it, the more I, uh, you kind of, you know, the more you study a book of the Bible, the more you feel it. Does that make sense? Does that resonate a little bit? Um, and I feel like I need to pause where Paul pauses and have the emotional, con- and it, it just slows everything down. So I'm going to revert back, just because the math doesn't work, to just doing the chapter that we're in each week. Um, so let's read through Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even to speak the word more fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which I should choose. 
I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whenever I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. Dave, can you do me a favor real quick and check to see if we are in fact live on Facebook? So Philippians 1. So last week we looked at uh, the first part of the first verse. So I just gave Dave an assignment and now I'm going to ask Dave to go to the next slide. So sorry, Dave. And then the one after that. Excellent. So we got through sort of the in Christ Jesus section of Uh, Philippians, this first uh, greeting section. So we talked about, uh, does anybody remember the picture I put up last week? Turducken, yes. How how Paul takes Jesus and he puts him into the from, he puts him into the to, he puts him into the greeting. Like he used the normal construct of the day. Uh, He didn't create a new (laughs) type of literature. He used what was normal, but he put as much of Jesus in it as he could which I think is fantastic and a great example for us, even in his structure. Um, There we go. I just got a comment, so I think we're live. Thank you. Um, And then we get to Paul's introduction of himself, right? So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, Jesus, to all the saints in Christ. Now, uh, I I have put in the green book, I think back on, I don't know, like page eight, a listing of the commentaries that I plan to use going through this series. And I, this is one of the, the things that I always hesitate about when I list commentaries out that I plan to use, is that I always find one or two or, okay, I'll be honest, Julie, eight, um, more that I like as I'm going through. And the easiest way that I have found to find others that I like is to look for those that are referenced by the commentaries that I started with. So like who, who is referring to the same guy over and over and over? So this is the first one that I'm going to add to the list. This is John Ruman. Um, is the most bitter man I have ever read in my entire life that wrote a commentary. Uh, he wrote 20, I think he said 2,400 pages on Philippians. And in three different places in the introduction and the first verse, griped at his editor in the book that his editor published about the fact that his editor cut him down to 850 pages. It's like, holy cow. And he says, I want, to, I want to publish a longer work. I want to publish a longer work. I want to publish a longer work. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. So I did all this research. Like, when did he die? When did he die? He died in 2008. Anybody want to guess when this book was published? 2008. Don't gripe at your publisher is my takeaway there. So... 
there's that. But uh, Ruman is the guy that, that all these other guys are like pointing to and pointing to. And I will tell you, there are two fundamental views. Uh, most of you will not care about this, but I, just, I need to cover it. Uh, there are two fundamental views about when slash where slash how Paul wrote to the Philippians. The first is what I have presented to you last week. Philippians was one letter written from Rome to the Christians in Philippi in the early 60s. The other view, and it is a much, much, much more recent view, and you get this view because there are several fairly distinctive shifts in the, Philippian, in the letter to the Philippians. Like, it seems like Paul, like, oh, we're, we're talking about this topic now. I'm like, oh, we're talking about this topic now. And there are modern scholars that believe that this is actually a collection of three to five distinct letters that Paul wrote that were then stitched together to make our current letter to the Philippians. Now, the problem about this is that there is zero, there are zero, as in not one, not two, zero original manuscripts that have that reflect this particular idea. None whatsoever. Rumen is the primary current modern thrust of logical thought behind it. And I went through and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him his fair due. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be as diligent about this view as possible. And it is a terrible argument, like really, really terrible. If I just, I take all the theology aside, I just put on an intellectual, like let's look at this and kick the tires. There is no air in those tires, guys. So if you, if you read something, it's like, well, this was actually stitched together from, I, I just really don't see it. Like, I really, really don't see it. it. To me, it reflects a lack of awareness about how Paul typically writes. Paul does not stick with one train of thought for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. I mean, there's two full chapters in Romans that are just basically an excursus about some other topic, and he comes back to the original, and you're like, well, that's just how Paul writes. He's got these indents and come back and indents and come back and indents and come back. So I, I wanted to cover that, but I also wanted to show you this quote from Ruman because it is a beautiful, beautiful quote. So two slides ahead, Dave, if you would. So Christ Jesus provides the basis for their relation to God. So this is talking, he's talking about in Christ right here. Glue for their connections with each other. Oh, is that... That's just, yes, yes. All right, Danus, where were you born? Uh, Lithuania. Lithuania, right? Okay. I am sorry. I'm pretty, I got a C in geography. Uh, I am pretty sure I could not locate Lithuania on a map. That didn't help. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> like, really, really, really bad at geography. Um, what connects us? I'd say two things connect us. One is a person. Actually, two or both are people. Who's the first person that kind of, how did we meet through who? Uh, Jessica. Through Jessica Miller, right? So thanks, Jessica. That's awesome. And who's the other person that connects us? Jesus. Right, right. yeah. Uh, otherwise, we don't have a lot in common. We have math. We're like, yeah, math, cool. That's right. Yeah, but how many times do you go hang out with somebody because of math? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And this is coming from somebody who likes math, right? So 
in Christ, the fact that we are in Christ is the glue for our connection with each other. The sphere for their life and endeavors together, like we operate in this space, it's just a great quote. And in Philippi, the locale that distinguishes them from others as Christ's saints. He just drops these things every once in a while. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. What a beautiful way to think about us being in Christ Jesus. All right, so we are in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So let's talk about Philippi for a second. So let's go forward two more, Dave. So where is Philippi? Philippi is up here. Rome is over here. The idea is that Paul is here. The Philippians are here. What did I say about Philippi a couple of weeks ago? Anybody remember? Any, there's tons of options for right answers here. So what did I say about Philippi a few weeks ago? The Roman Legion retirement community, yes. So there were two major battles that were fought, and the, the winning side basically granted land, lots and lots of farming land, to these soldiers. They go and they retire to Philippi. So what else about Philippi? There was a main road that went through There was a main road that went through it. That's exactly right. It actually ended up being a really, really big deal a while later. Uh, lots of people got really rich because of that main road. Yep. What else? What's that? It was on the coast. Yes, that's right. It's pretty close to water. Yeah. Why would you want to be close to water? Say it louder. Ship it. Yeah, trade. Yeah. I want to sell something to Jerusalem. Cool. Well, I need to be close to water so we can make that kind of happen because walking through a bunch of land is really slow compared to like put it on a ship. Boat? Oh, dang it, I did it again. I don't know. Uh, what else? What about the church in Philippi? It's a, probably a wealthy church, right? Because Paul commends them for their gifts uh, several different times, right? Good. What about the makeup of the, <laughs> I feel like I almost gave it away, the makeup of the church in Philippi? Yes, they're the primary audience. That was the beginning of this, this group, right? So uh, Paul and Silas and I think Timothy went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old, no, sorry. And uh, who did they find? They found Lydia and other sisters there. And by the time they left Philippi in Acts chapter 16, a church had been planted. Yes, good. So, so three kind of primary things I want you to take away about Philippi. One, very high incidence of women in Philippi. Two, uh, I have just three dollar signs next to my notes, so they had some money. Right? Lydia was a seller of purple. You don't sell purple to poor people, you sell purple to rich people. And then uh, the third dash there is Rome. Like this is as Romish and Roman as you can get outside of Rome. What was the primary what was the primary uh, religion in Philippi? Anybody know? You could sum it up in three words. Caesar is Lord. Worship of the emperor was the primary. Primary religion of that place. All right, so that's in Philippi. Can we go forward one more, Dave? Just one this time. Thank you, sir. All right, I'm no longer glowing. Like there's this whole glow that happens. I disappear on the picture up here too. It's really kind of funny. 
All right, so the saints who are in Philippi, including the overseers. Now, Zeke is not here, but what type of word is that word including on page 20 on your, in your green book? What part of speech is it? It's a preposition. Let's go back to page 11 in your green books. Page 11 in your green books. Danus, if I had any idea that I would talk this much about grammar as an adult, I might have taken more grammar classes in, in college and elsewhere, I tell you. So page 11 is our cheat sheet for Greek prepositions. Uh, you see, this is, this is probably the most typical way to teach uh, Greek prepositions to students who are learning Greek, um, because prepositions give you a sense of where or what direction something is associated with something else, okay? So this preposition is including, it's uh, Strong's 4862, it's soon. Um, so where is Strong's 68, I'm sorry, 4862? On the right side, just above the middle. So. You see how it's right next to something else, right next to another box? It's like, so you're, you're not in the other box, but you're right next to the other box. So the idea is relative closeness, association. We are, we are together with those types of things. Now, there's two fundamental different distinct trains of thought on how to interpret this particular preposition. You might be thinking, this doesn't seem too complicated. Well, it might be. So let's go to the next slide, Dave. The two ways to think about it, one more. Uh, so here's option number one. So option number one, is, and I want you to notice the parentheses on the screen here for just a second. So option number one, so Danus, math, here we go. So saints, overseers, deacons, all one thing. They're in one distinct group, okay? So option number one, okay? Option number two is you got saints, and then you got overseers and deacons. So two groups. But Danus, what do we know about math? When you add things up like this, does it matter where these parentheses are? No, it doesn't. Not if you're adding. So what's our, what's our result, Dave? Our result is that you get saints and overseers and deacons. Right? If you say they're all one big group unified, cool. <clears throat> if you say that they're two distinct groups, cool. Because Paul's writing to them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Now, what, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to say that the overseers and deacons are outside of the church, that they are outside of the saints, that they are a different uh, class or level of spirituality. Nowhere in Paul do we have anything remotely like this. That is not what Paul is teaching in any way, shape, or form. Dave, your head's about to explode. What do you got? Well, <clears throat> Mm. Then Paul may be saying, yeah, you're included in the saints and everybody. Because I had a situation recently where oh, yeah. someone was, <laughs> was spending the whole three days trying to make sure everybody felt the same. And in one swoop, somebody said something mm -hmm. thing, and all of a sudden there was a division. Yeah. So Paul is calling, and this is the only place in all of the Pauline letters 
where he calls out specifically to any type of leaders. So overseers and deacons don't show up in any other greeting in the New Testament. This is it. And remember, what's he going to address later on in Philippians? There's some, there's some griping going on. There's some arguing going on. There's some conflict going on. Hey, by the way, leaders, this is to you guys too. Right? So we're all in this. We're all in Christ together. And this is important for them to know. Uh, all right. So uh, application and personalization. And then we'll come back and talk about overseers and deacons. What it is and what it is not. So application number one at the bottom of page 20. Um, this is a long one, so sorry about this. Some texts, some texts are not grammatically limited to a single interpretation. Sorry, I tried to make it simpler, but it just is what it is. Some texts are not limited to a single, are not grammatically limited to a single interpretation. Some texts are not grammatically limited to a single interpretation. So what do we do with that? Well, I would say perhaps we should know them and, and don't trap ourselves out of ignorance. Know them and don't trap ourselves out of ignorance. Because you can actually go either way with this word including. And there are times where we think that the writer of Scripture intentionally is vague to allow for a variety of ways to implement this particular command. I'm cool with that because the writer of scripture is the Holy Spirit. Yes? I do think that sometimes some of this stuff is an unintended consequence of the writer. Yes. I think sometimes we bring that back to try to get some meaning that isn't there or unimportant. Absolutely. Which, right? You end up at the same spot. That's right. Yes, we could. We could always put Daryl in a different category. That's exactly right. Yep. So let's talk about overseers. I'm glad you brought that up. So that's the next word. Uh, including the overseers. So the, the Greek word there is episkopos. Uh, is this a singular word or is this a plural word? Plural. plural. Every time in the New Testament this word shows up, it's always plural. Like there is a... Uh, when elder shows up, it's plural. When bishop shows up, it's plural. When pastor shows up, it's plural. When episkopos shows up, it's plural. Every single time in the New Testament, when leadership of a church is mentioned, it is 100% plural. You're like, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that tell us about how our leadership structure ought to be? It's not just one guy. Like, that is shockingly, incredibly dangerous, and it is not the biblical model. So I do want us to notice, though, which one is listed first? Is the overseer listed first, or is the deacon listed first? Overseers are listed first, right here. So Paul is big about order. So order number one is the overseers, and then the deacons. What are deacons? Again, plural here. Deacons are servants. Um, at the time Jesus was walking around on the earth, I'm going to get real nuanced here. I want to be careful how I say this. At the time Jesus was walking around on the earth, the word deacon meant somebody who got you food and brought it to you. Basically somebody who acted on behalf of another person. 
By the time Paul writes this a few decades later, this meaning has expanded in Christian community to be basically talking about any type of a servant who just serves. It is, it is a multifaceted word that can be used in a lot of different situations by the time Paul uses it. So similar to the word martyrios in Greek, when, when Jesus used it, it meant to testify. By the time the apostles are writing letters using it, it meant to die for one's faith because of the testimony that you gave. So words can change meanings very, very quickly in culture. And deacon is one that did that just in the space of a few decades, which how cool is it that 2,000 years later we can talk about how the word changed meaning a couple of decades after. It boggles my mind how much this stuff has been studied. So, so we've got overseers, we've got deacons, um, and then who I think is probably just one of the most pleasant, kind commentators we've, we're going to experience this entire time. This is not Dr. Ruman. Uh, it's Dr. Gordon Fee. So let's go forward uh, two more. He's got a good quote here about the overseers and the deacons. A distinguishable part of the whole, but as part of the whole, not above it or outside it. That's an interest. I, I like the distinguishable, but we're still part of the whole. Now, I could argue just a smidge about above because there is a authority structure that God has put into the church, right? But they're certainly not outside of it. So we are all in this together. All right, forward one more, Dave. So let's go to the next. We finish with verse one. Ta da! Our first verse is behind us. We should have a mini party every time. It's 104 mini parties. I like it. That'd be a lot of cupcakes. That sounds good to me. I'm on a diet right now. I don't get to cupcakes, so there's that. All right, verse number two. So we've done the who's writing and who he's writing to. Now we get into the greeting part. The actual, like, and what does he start with? He starts with grace. Now, We've got two primary words on this page 21. We've got grace and we've got peace. Which one of those is the Greek word and which one of those is the Jewish word? Now, they're both Greek because he's writing in Greek. But which one of those has its roots in Greek and which one of them has its roots in Hebrew? Peace is Hebrew, right. So that means grace is... Greek. There you go. So he starts with this Greek or Hellenistic greeting. And I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say grace and peace to you. It is distinctly what Paul is not saying. And I will tell you that I have to confess right now, I have been misquoting Paul for many years because at the end of a lot of different things, what I will say is grace and peace to you. And that is actually not what Paul is saying. And there is a difference. So let's talk about the difference. So grace is this uh, graciousness, this manner of acting. Um, this is gratitude. Uh, you can think about this as a, and we don't do this a lot in Baptist circles, but a lot of different uh, church backgrounds have a period where there's a blessing that is placed on the congregation or upon certain people. Um, the closest we probably get to this is like baby dedication Sunday. If we, like, let's bless the children and their parents, and we, we promise to hang out with them and stand and babysit, and then we never do. Um, 
But this idea of grace here is a, like, grace to you and, we don't, right? Let's just be honest. So, and peace. So let's talk about peace for just a second. Peace is this uh, very, very Old Testament concept. Um, If you wanted to be really Old Testament, what you would have done here would be mercy and peace to you, right? Because mercy is a theme that is just rich in the Old Testament. It's on all sorts of different pages in all sorts of different books. But grace is not a concept that really shows up in the Old Testament very often. I mean, it's, it pops its head up every once in a while, you know. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But it's, it is not a theme of the Old Testament by any way, shape, or form. But peace shows up a tremendous amount. So what I want us to, <clears throat> what I want us to understand here is that the peace is specifically from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that side is, that is where peace comes from. The grace is coming from Paul and Timothy as a blessing to the Philippians. You might think, Jim, you're splitting hairs. Well, Paul put the pronoun in a very specific spot. So it's, this is like how you interpret this. This is the way this works. So it's not grace and peace to you from Paul and Timothy. It's grace to you. Does anybody know what John MacArthur's ministry is called? Grace to you? Yeah. I never understood that. It always used to frustrate me. It's like, why didn't I say grace and peace to you? Like, that's what the text... Whoops. Jim's wrong again. <laughs> there you go. So, grace to you and peace. So, if you want an application at the bottom of this one, uh, be theologically accurate and inclusive. Because Paul works in the Roman and the Hebrew in this same blessing, which I think is very interesting. And the other thing about this, this word for grace, there's a different Greek word that a Roman would have expected to read, carry on, right there, which basically means greetings. It's like, look, we would say, hey, today in an email or a text message or whatever, how you'd start your, your note to somebody. So Paul gives them the first four Greek letters that are the same, and then he switches it up and he throws in a theological basis, which I think is great. So be theologically accurate and inclusive. Yes? What do you mean by inclusive? Uh, great Greek and Hebrew. So this is the big the combining? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what I don't mean is that everything's okay and everybody's always okay. N- no, no, we're going to get to that. <laughs> like, that's actually going to show up in Philippians. Uh, thank you for asking me to clarify that. I appreciate it. So what do we do with that? So how about we greet brothers and sisters with accuracy and inclusion? It's okay. We can do that. We can be accurate about how we bless people, how we greet people, how we encourage people, how we engage with others. I think we should do this. So grace to you and peace from God. So we're on page 22. So what is the source of the peace? Say it louder for everybody to hear. God is the source of the peace. Would this have been, would this have been something that the Philippians, the pagan Philippians would have agreed with? 
No. Let's go to the next slide, Dave. Dr. Joe Hellerman, who I think like, went to the Rick Warren School of Wardrobe. Um, cool, good for him. Um, he has a ponytail and he wears like these kind of shirts. I'm like, that's who I want to be one day. It's kind of cool. All right, so the pacification of the known world. Pacification is a fancy word for bringing peace, like the bringing of the peace to the known world by the Romans was known as the Pax Romana or Pax Augusta. The ideology of universal peace and prosperity under Rome and her emperor. Don't go to the next one yet. This is what Rome thought was the source of peace. It was one of the reasons you worshiped the emperor because the emperor brought peace. And how did, I wish I had a sword. How did Rome bring peace? With a sword, right? There's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Peacekeepers, peace exists and your job is to keep the peace. Peacemakers go in like, we're going to go make peace here. But is this real peace? It is not real peace. This is forced uh, sovereignty from another. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of bitterness. There's going to be a tremendous amount of anger. There's a tremendous, shocking, unbelievable amount of slavery as a result of this. But this concept was such a big deal that peace came from Rome and her emperor. Let's go to the next one, Dave. That they put it on their coins. So they would put security, safety, concord, freedom on their coins. Do you notice who... Hellerman is referencing here. Ruman. You do enough quotes and you're like, I think Ruman might have been the, like, the thrust of some of this. Ruman took like three pages to say this, though. So, you know, it is what it is. All right, so we got <clears throat> grace to you and peace from God our Father. So is that a distinct member of the Trinity? God the Father? Yes. And, what does this imply? Like, we, got, we got somebody else here. We're, not, we're no longer talking about God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. So just in case you thought Paul was not going to go start attacking who Nero was, because Nero's the Caesar at this time. You didn't think Paul was going to go attacking Nero. This is, this is like baseball bat number one to a statue of Nero. When, he, when Paul says the Lord Jesus Christ. If there happened to be any pagans, when whoever read the letter, read the letter to the Philippians, their head exploded right here. Like the, and we look at it and go, well, yeah, it's like Jesus' first name, right? Lord Jesus Christ. No. This is, without saying it, he is saying Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is massive cultural, political, ideological, all kinds of crazy stuff shift. But at the same time, he is teaching a great deal of theology. So let's go to the next slide, Dave. It's our last picture of the day. I think, yep, there we go. Anybody ever seen this picture before? Yes. This is a, a brief leaning toward how to think about and explain the Trinity. All right, so you have Father, you have Son, you have Spirit. They are all God. But the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. There is distinction within the Godhead. One of the things Paul is saying right here is that the Father is God. Another thing that Paul is saying right here is that the Son is God. And another thing that Paul is saying right here using this conjunction is that the Father is not the Son. 
That is a ton of theology in a very condensed space. And you might be thinking, does Paul not care about the Spirit? Like, what in the world? Read the sentence again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything, is there any word in that sentence that is connected with the concept of the Holy Spirit? Peace. Why is the concept of peace connected with the Holy Spirit? It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit gives the peace. Pauline Trinitarianism in one sentence. <laughs> this is gospeliciously good right here, folks. This is just, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right, so, so applications at the bottom of page 22. We'll do this when we'll be finished. <clears throat> so grace and peace have their source in God. Application number one. Grace and peace have their source in God. In my notes, I have in parentheses, not the government. Grace and peace have their source in God. So what do we do with that? We thank God for it, and we don't look elsewhere for grace and peace. How's the Roman Empire doing today? It's kind of gone, right? It's like, oh, yeah, well, that didn't, that didn't work. Yeah, because governmental peace doesn't last. One of my favorite John Piper quotes is that one day, America and all her presidents will be but a footnote in the history of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and if that offends you, then we have the wrong king. So thank God and don't look elsewhere for grace and peace. Application number two, Jesus is not the Father. Like, let's be real careful about that. Because <laughs> if we mix up our pronouns the wrong way, what we end up with is monotheism, which I am way more concerned about than other pronouns getting mixed up. So Jesus is not the Father. So personalization number two, be theologically accurate in our blessings. Be theologically accurate in our blessings. And that, my friends, is Philippians 1, 1 and 2. <laughs> so Paul has worked all sorts of stuff into this. We've got turducken. We've got the glue of in Christ. We've got grammatical fuzziness. We've got theological accuracy. We've got Trinitarian clarity in two verses. We are scratch and sniff with the concept of Philippians, and there's so much more. All right, so that is uh, the lesson for today. Grab your weekly update, if you would. Somebody's timer just went off. That was awesome. Uh, we've got prayer requests on one side and then about our class on the other. Um, welcome to our newest member, Ms. Sandra Tweed. She's taking notes hardcore. There we go. Uh, so if you have any uh, prayer requests, uh, please write those. If you have any updates, please make those. And uh, with that, you are free to pray as a table. And then when you are finished praying, uh, free to go and to worship the one who Paul could not get over. And I hope you don't either. So thanks for coming today, guys.
Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.